Hello everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host, per usual, more or less. On the agenda this evening, as we approach... You know what? Here in the States, uh, this is Thanksgiving week. So, I'm going to throw that out there. Um, there is no event for the UFC this Saturday because of the proximity to the holiday. So, we have this Saturday off. We will be reviewing UFC on ESPN Plus 73. And what a clown fiesta that was. Oof. Just a clown fiesta. Um... And because the U- <laughs> was a rather wry observation from, I think it was Jack Slack on Twitter, who mentioned most MMA media types tend to give bel- tend to oh, tend to inflate the value of a Bellator card when it's opposite a really crappy UFC event. And. Uh, Again, it's deliberately sardonic and whatnot, but there's a degree of truth to that. You know, the Bellator, the Bellator Brigade comes out, especially when the UFC offering and proximity to it is especially lackluster. And it helps that this Bellator event was actually was legitimately good on paper. But we'll briefly go over that. There was a, one of the uh, one events on Amazon, and I get to laugh at them for a little bit. And yeah, that's. And, of course, news of the week, such as it was. So, that's on the agenda. Please like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, anything you can do to help the product, help uh, the podcast. It all makes a difference. It's all very helpful. If you've done any and all of that, share on a social media platform of your choosing or with someone you know in person. If you think they're potentially interested in the show, point them in my direction and give me a chance to win them over. I believe that's everything I have here on the old boilerplate preamble, so let's move on. UFC on ESPN plus 73. Your main event was originally supposed to be Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak. This fell apart um, during the prelim card. When was it exactly? Um, was it after the Tercios and Natividad fight that this got announced? It was that, or it was after Johns and Morales. It was a little bit late into it, um, and they wound up bumping some of the other fights around. Is what kind of why it got brought up. Um, some medical issue with Derek Lewis, not weight cut related, not COVID related, but he had to withdraw. And uh, yeah, I'm, what do you even say about this at this point? Look, fights fall apart during the event. It's not. Not every event, but it's hardly un like, it's not exactly uncommon either for us to get these updates, right? They happen. Not every event, but you know, what do you think? One out of every four ish. One out of every four or five. So again, it's not uncommon for this to happen. First time it's happened to a main event in a while. Um, maybe ever. I can't say ever because there's way too many events to keep track of. But it's the first time in a long time that during the event, the main event has fallen apart. And our new main event became Kennedy and Zechiku versus Iwan Kutalaba, which instantly becomes maybe the worst UFC main event ever. 
Um, certainly of the last, like, seven years. I mean, we've had some bad ones during that period of time. Um, we had, like, Norma Dumont and Ketlin Vieira, right? I think it was Ketlin Vieira. Let me look that up real fast. Just, I'm not going to go through everything here because... That's just, that would just take way too long. Um, Rodriguez and Lemos wasn't exactly anything to write home about. Grasso and Araujo wasn't great, but they were both at least highly highly ranked. Uh, Dern and Jan wasn't great. Uh, yeah, that one wasn't great at all. Let's see. Uh, Santos versus Hill? That was not good. That was, not, I mean... Again, you got two guys that are ranked, but Tiago Santos and Jamal Hill, and that's not lighting anyone. That's not getting anyone necessarily out of bed. Um, Santos and Fiziev was pretty was fine. Hang on, Soyuki, Soyuki and Gamrot was deeply like unappealing to the masses because most people don't know who those two gentlemen are. That was a very good fight. Volkov and Rosenstruck wasn't great. Uh, got home versus Vieira. That was pretty bad. Um, geez, I'm still just in this year. Let's see. Lemotion. Eh, Lemotion and Josh was alright. Volkov and Aspinall was fine. Santos and Kalayev wasn't great, but was alright. Um, oh. Another one for the light heavyweights, uh, but Johnny Walker and Jamal Hill. Yeah, that wasn't great. Uh, let's see. Uh, God, Derek Lewis and Chris Dawkus was a main event. December of last year. That was how they went out for 2021. Uh, yeah, v oh, Vieira and Tate wasn't especially great. And it was just, hey, remember Misha Tate? Yes, but no. Costa Vittori was all right. Yeah, oh, Lad. Lad and Dumont. Oh, God, that was October of last year. Durden Rodriguez was right before that. Then, uh, yeah, Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker was before that. That was a rough three weeks, man. October sucked. October of 21 was a rough month to watch MMA. I mean, in theory, that paid off with UFC 267 and UFC 268 in back-to-back -back weeks. But that was a... That whole month just died. Let me find one more. One more that just really wasn't good. Uh, Rodriguez and Watterson wasn't great. Yeah, that one was pretty rough. Um, that was a perfectly fine one. So, point being here, I'm going, I'm going pretty far back. Uh, let me go back a full year. Because I'm over a full year at this point. So let me take a quick look at 2020. Uh, Smith and Clark wasn't great. Anthony Smith and uh, Devin Clark. Not a compelling main event. Um, Felder and Dos Santos was kind of a last-minute thing. Eh, Santos and Teixeira was fine. Uh, Uriah Hall and Anderson Yeah, that was fine. Hall and Silva was fine. Uh, then Marge for Sandhagen. Uh, Michelle Watterson and Angela Hill. This is September of 2020. That was pretty bad. 
And that was pretty bad. Um, Smith and Rakich had that really unfortunate ending. So, yeah, this is the long and the short of that. Uh, in Zechiku and Kutalaba, just, I mean, at least in some of those other fights I listed, like it was ranked fighters theoretically battling for kind of position in the division. This had none. Of, this didn't even have that. Uh, just terrible. Uh, so in the main event, Kennedy and Zechiku defeated Kutalaba via TKO, knee and punches, 102 of the second. Kutalaba wins the first. Gets the better of things on the feet. Gets a takedown. Doesn't do a tremendous ground and pound, but you know, enough to stay busy. Definitively win the round. Second round, Kutalaba is a little bit tired. He starts reaching for some of those takedowns. Zechiku knees him in the head. Punches him out along the fence. Whatever. Uh, I'm just... Again, this is not a fight I was especially looking forward to. It delivered about what you'd expect out of this level of light heavyweights. I, I don't have a whole lot more to add to that. It wasn't very good. Uh, heavyweights. Waldo Cortez Acosta defeated Chase Sherman via unanimous decision, 130-27 to 29-28. Um, Cortez Acosta with a pretty quick turnaround for this fight, actually. He fought, um, it's like last month. So he's trying to get through that crappy contender series contract as quick as he can. It helps that he's fighting at heavyweight, where you're fighting guys like Jared Vandera and Chase Sherman. Um, yeah, this fight kind of sucked. Uh, welterweights, good fight. Muslim Salikov defeated Andre Fialho via TKO as a wheel kick and some punches at 103 of the third. Really good first round for Fialho. He had Salikov backing up. He had him kind of hurt. Landed some good punches, landed a right hand out of the clinch at one point that gave uh, Salikov problems with his left eye. Second round, Fialo slows. He eats a spinning back kick fairly quickly into that first into that second round. And it seems to affect him visibly. He's there's no more bounce in his step. He's kind of just following Salikov around. Salikov just hits him with a lot of front kicks. He's got a mean front kick to the body. Uh, a couple of more spinning attacks. He's got some, uh, just, you know, beats him up there. Gets a takedown at one point, kind of rides out the last bit of the round. Third round, more of the same from Salikov. The finish is really nice. He hits a sick spinning back kick to the body. Fiello doesn't drop, but he gets his back to the fence and sinks way down into like a deep squat with his back resting. He has like a really deep wall sit. Forces himself back up. You give Salikov time and space... He will do some spectacular stuff. He lands a nice wheel kick, a couple of punches to follow up. Fialho doesn't go down, but he was done. Um, I picked Fialho here. I kind of figured he... What happened in the first round was more of what would happen in the fight, but that body work, man. Uh, Salikov just puts in the investment into the body and make and it pays off. Like you, you let that go, it will pay off. So, good win for Salikov. Uh, yeah. Good fight. This is a really good fight. Your other really, your other really good performance comes from unsurprisingly, uh, your biggest prospect at welterweight, Jack Della Maddalena. He defeats Danny Roberts via TKO, three twenty-four of the first, just punches. Della Maddalena has very slick boxing, and 
This needs to be said. Most MMA fighters are not good boxers. A lot of them have pretty good punching, but punching is not boxing. A lot of people who know a lot more than I do have made that point abundantly clear. Della Maddalena is good boxing, not just good punching. He's very good punching too, but those are not necessarily the same thing. Uh, he got inside on Roberts. He was kind of hammering him at various points. He's got good power. He finds openings, good commitment to the body. Like, that's what did Danny Roberts in here, ultimately. He took too many, too much body stuff, and he just stopped being able to move because of it. And then once you're a stationary target, you know, if you're target practice for old JDM, he's going to lower the boom, which he did. Uh, poor guy, as good as he is, like that guy's still only making like 10 and 10. Because you contend a serious contract. That's a crying shame. This guy, he's probably going to be fighting someone ranked next. Which I think might even be appropriate. He's a, he's very, very good. If you were not hip to him before this fight, get hip to him. Jump on that bandwagon. This guy is very, very good. I mean, look, Danny Roberts is not a world beater, right? But a couple of things about him. He's been in the UFC uh, since 2015. Now, you spend seven years in the UFC, that's not an accident. And his other losses, like it's... Okay, Nordin Taleb kind of caught him early. But a lot of the other stuff, like if you don't catch him slip, you know, slipping very early, it, you're kind of in for a fight. Now, there's a real argument he should have beaten Ramazan Amiv. Uh, so he did beat Ramazan Amiv. Um, so I transposed that looking at it in my head. kind of thought he lost that one, actually, now that I remember the fight. But um, yeah, he's, a, he's a legitimate test for fighters. Again, Robert's not a world beater, but he's the kind of guy you don't mind having on your roster for this kind of fight. Like, you know, to weed out the, the hopefuls from the not-so-bright futures. Um, and, and JDM ran him over. He's going to take a pretty big step up in class next time. He said he wants to fight on the Perth card at the beginning of next year. If they can find him an opponent, uh, I say do it. What did he call out? He didn't call out anyone in the uh, like in the interview, but at the post-fight presser he had a couple of names. Can you say like Vicente Luque? Or... I saw some people suggesting Neil Magny, and I just... I'm not, I'm not saying uh, that's the worst fight in the world, but um, no, uh, Rodri oh, Daniel Rodriguez. Ooh. Him and Daniel Rodriguez. Um, that'd be a very good, like, MMA boxing match. Like, there's not really a bad guy to match him up with. He, again, he's very, very good. Um, there was no fight of the night awarded for this event. I'm going to spoil that. That did a couple of fights potentially dirty. One of them was this one. Charles Johnson defeated Jalgas Zhumagulov via split decision, 29-28. I scored this for Zhumagulov. That poor guy. Um, this was a very good fight. Back and forth. Uh, Johnson came on a little bit stronger as the fight wore on, but he got cracked early. Uh, had some leg, had some issues with the leg kicks of Zhumagulov. Uh, Zhumagulov apparently retired after this. 
I don't know if that's going to stick or not. But, I mean, this poor guy is 1-5 and five in the UFC. And his UFC debut, he has to fight Holly and Paiva, who missed weight. And he acquits himself very well. He loses to Amir Albazi. His last two fights have been split decisions to Charles Johnson and Jeff Molina. I thought he won both of those. I might have to double-check the Molina one. I seem to recall thinking he should have won that one. Uh, you just got to feel bad for the guy. Like, he's turning in entertaining fights. I mean, uh, the Manel cop stopped him fair. Like, that one was fine. And one of the earlier, like, I, I think the Paiva fight, again, that was a competitive fight, but Paiva won it pretty fairly. Albazi might have been awkward. Yeah, that was unanimous, but that doesn't always mean I agree with it. Um, you got to feel bad for that guy. Charles Johnson looked, he's got a good jab. Struggles with the leg kicks. He does a lot of stance switching, and I don't, there's nothing wrong with stance switching. You just have to, like, be aware of it when you're doing it. He does a lot of it that kind of feels like he's doing it just to do it. And unfortunately, well, fortunately for him, he's not fought anyone who's good at punishing that. If if you're just switching in space, kind of to switch in space, like somebody who knows what they're doing is going to make you pay for that. Uh, Johnson wants to fight more frequently. It's flyweight. I'm sure they can find someone to accommodate that if he really means it. Uh, again, this was, a, this was a pretty good fight. It was a pretty entertaining fight. Uh, not they're not being a fight of the night again. It screwed this one. It screwed um, Tercios and Kevin Natividad too. Like that was a was a fun fight. Anyway, uh, that was your main card. Again, Salikov versus Fialho. Good fight. Uh, look it up if you didn't see it. Della Madalena versus Danny Roberts. Look that up. That's three and a half minutes of your life, and you get to watch Della Madalena. Show again why he's one of the brightest prospects in the entire sport. Uh, as for the prelims, Jennifer Maya defeated Marina Morosby unanimous decision, 130-27 to 29-28. I was surprised Morose was the betting favorite here. Like plus money on Jennifer Maya against someone the caliber of Marina Morose seems like a good bet. Again, I don't gamble, but that it just kind of seems that way. Um, these two just had a pretty typical women's MMA striking fight. Don't know what else to tell you about it. Maya hits a little bit harder, was a little bit better about timing, and got the win. Uh, bantamweight Miles Johns defeated Vince Morales for unanimous decision, 130-27 to 29-28. This fight sucked. Also bantamweight, Ricky Tercios defeated Kevin Natividad via split decision, 29-28. Again, one for Tercios, two for Natividad. I scored this for Natividad, but I'm not up in arms about this at all. This was a wild, high-paced, back-and-forth scramble fest for the most part. This was awesome. Look this one up if you didn't see it. Ricky Tercios is... He's probably never going to achieve at a really high level, would be my guess. But the dude does not have boring fights. You can say that about him. Uh, Vanessa Demopoulos, women's strawweight, defeats Maria Oliveira of unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Um, Oliveira, bigger, longer, but Demopoulos was able to crack her on a couple, of, a couple of occasions with punches. On the ground, there was a wild skill differential in favor of Demopoulos. Passed the guard pretty easily, dropped some good elbows, got mount multiple times. 
A little bit surprised there wasn't more of an effort to finish. You know, I've heard this mentioned about MMA as a general rule, and I think it's true. Mount is a lost art. You know, when I started watching, uh, I've mentioned this before, I mean, plenty of people have been around longer than I have, but for the record, when I started watching back in the day, if somebody got mount on you, that was death. Like, it, at that point, that was checkmate. Like, there might need to be more stuff done before the inevitable conclusion, but the number of people you saw escape from mount was very low. The number of people you saw survive rounds after they'd been mounted was very low, somewhat pursuant to the timing, of course. But it was like, you avoided mount being mounted at all costs. People are very good nowadays at, at fighting the mount. And consequently, people have stopped, you know, training being in mount, I think. Uh, the amount of time that Demopolis had full mount here, she probably should have been able to get a little bit closer to a finish. Just my, just my perspective on that. But she got a good win. I think she was the underdog, too, so good on her. Bantamweights, Brady Hestad defeated Fernie Garcia via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. I actually scored this for Garcia, but uh, doing it live. But on reflection, that first round, I'm not as sold on as having gone to Garcia. Um, you know, Hestad, just a little bit the better wrestler, uh, better grappler overall. Struggled a bit at times on the feet, but he's been working on his kicking game, his, which actually became pretty dexterous. He got had some pretty good kicks. But Garcia's big problem was you know, he just got kind of wrestled to death against the fence eventually uh, inevitably so good on he stand and kicking everything off natalia silva defeated teresa bleda via oof tko this was ugly spinning back kick to the face and punches uh first round goes to bleda she gets the clinch gets some takedowns kind of about grapple silva but seems to gas herself a little bit in the process second round silva who's got some pretty sharp hands starts landing on her more consistently Beats her up, tires her out. Third round, Blade just reaching for a takedown badly. Ducks, changing levels right into the spinning back kick. Connects to, like, again, the face and chest. A few more punches, polishes things off. Solid finish. The, the fight itself was eh-ish, but that was, a, that was a nasty little finish from Silva. So that was the overall event. 11 fights. If you looked at this on paper and asked me to pick out what fights I, I thought would be worth watching, I think I would have hit most of them. Tercios and Natividad I slept on a little bit. That wound up being a lot of, you know, kind of sloppier fun. Uh, but everything else I think I probably would have nailed. Like, don't watch that, don't watch that. This is a waste of time. These fights, so. As for your bonuses, again, there was no fight of the night. Did Tercios and Natividad as well as Johnson and Jumagulov dirty. Your performances of the night went to Kennedy and Zechiku, Muslim Salikov, Jack Della Maddalena, and Natalia Silva. Basically, if you got a... This is one of those cards, man, where... There's this long stretch of decisions, right? You may, your first fight gets a finish, and then there's not another finish until the Della Maddalena and Danny Roberts fight. And the UFC on occasion will stand on the pseudo-principle that we like finishes more than good fights. So, yeah, this is one of those nights, I guess, when they decided to make that, send that particular message to their underpaid, undervalued fighters. Uh, if you're interested in my live 
uh, coverage of this, as well as clips of the finishes, and my live round-by-round scoring. The MM, it's in the MMA Zone of Mania.com. Give that a listen, a read, rather. Uh, thank you very much. I always appreciate that. All right. Let's touch on some other MMA news from around the world. Um, Bellator had an event. There was Bellator 288. Um, most notable were the top two fights. Let's do that very briefly. Um, Vadim Nem- this was a rematch between Vadim Nemkov and Corey Anderson for the Bellator Light Heavyweight title and the Bellator Light Heavyweight World Grand Prix. These two fought at Bellator 277. There was a no contest. Um, there was a clash of heads on the ground. Made a bad enough cut. The fight had to be stopped. Uh, unfortunate for Anderson, who seemed to... Like, he had a rough first round. But he seemed to be wearing Nemkov down as that fight wore on. Here, a little bit the opposite. Um, Anderson... Is it the second round I thought Anderson won? I forget if it was... I think it was the second. Uh, forgive me, I... But Anderson did not get a takedown this entire fight. He was like 0 for 13, I think, by the end of it. And if Corey Anderson can't get you down, he's going to struggle. That's just kind of the fighter he is. Nemkov had some good leg kicks per usual, just sharper hands, pretty good jab. Um, Really good win for Nemkov overall. I don't know if Vadim Nemkov is the best light heavyweight in the world. I'm not going to make that claim. But here's what I'm going to say in his favor. If you dropped him into the UFC light heavyweight division right now, I think at a minimum he's a top five guy. Now, whether you th- how you think he matches up specifically with Magomed Ankalaev or Glover Teixeira or Yuri Prohachka, like that, okay. There's discussion to be had there, but that's kind of the point, isn't it? There's discussion. He might struggle with Ankalaev, but Ankalaev might be the best light heavyweight in the world. Um, I might favor Nemkov. I would favor Nemkov over Teixeira, to be candid. It's not a knock on Glover. I think that's a stylistic thing. Glover, you know, he can be beat on a little bit at this point. And a lot of his game centers around being able to threaten you with takedowns effectively. And I think Nemkov's very good about shutting that down. I wouldn't be shocked if Nemkov beat Yuri Prohachka. Just to be honest, because Prohachka is a wild man. I would favor Prohachka, but you know, how would I favor you know, between him and Jan Blahovich? I might favor Jan, but I wouldn't be shocked if Nemkov beat him, and I would probably pick Nemkov against everyone ranked lower than that. I mean, think about the main event. From I mean, granted, neither of those guys are ranked, but I'm making a point here. I would favor him to beat either Iwan Kutalaba or Kennedy and Zechiku without a lot of hesitation. I might favor him over Ryan Spann, which might be a little bit speculative given the size difference, but the point is, Nemkov is one of the very best light heavyweights in the world. The best, again, I'm not quite sold on that, but this was a very good performance out of him against a guy who had seemed to kind of have his number there last time. So, good on him. Um, Lightweights. Usman Nurmagomedov remains undefeated. He blanks Patricky Pitbull. Um, uh, sorry, the official scorecards for Nimkov and Anderson. 148-47. I'm not quite sure what other round you'd give Anderson. Um, I only gave him one. Was it the third that was maybe you could argue? I don't know. I, I forget exactly. Um, I, again, I was 49-46, which were the other two scorecards. 
Usman Nurmagomedov over Patricky Pitbull is 50-45 and then 50-44 twice. I was 50-44. Um, some of the stuff that came out of this, like some of the build-up to this was kind of funny. You know, Patricky Pitbull going Usman Nurmagomedov is only getting this opportunity because of his last name. Meanwhile, you only got the belt at all because Patricio vacated it and said you should fight for the belt. And because Patricio has creative control in his contract, you know, when Scott Coker says, okay, we're going to do someone not Patricky, Patricky's not going to be involved in the title fight at lightweight, Patricio could go, that doesn't work for me, brother. Um, yeah, this was a mauling from Usman Nurmagomedov, who is undefeated. 15-0, I think. Yeah, uh, 16, 15 coming into this. Um, this was the first time someone had gone the distance with him since uh, in a number of fights. Since 19, but that's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Yeah, 9 fights, like 10 fights between decisions, basically. He's very good. Like He's another one of those guys that, look, do we meme on Bellator for good reason at times? Yeah, we do. There's some people in that in that organization though that are very good and that that gets lost sometimes and needs to be called out. Usman Nurmagomedov, that's a very very good lightweight. Again, another guy you could drop into the UFC and could he be a top ten guy? Yeah, he could. Um, I don't know if I would put him there right away, but he could very easily compete with the top of that division uh, without too much difficulty. He's very good. Um, I think the only other thing I wanted to mention here was at featherweight, uh, Timur Kizriev. Uh, that guy, again, he's flying under the radar a little bit. He beat Daniel Veitchel. Uh, and Veitchel, he's a little bit on the downside of his career, but Kizriev is pretty darn good. So that was Bellator. Uh, again, man. I'm not advocating that you watch everything Bellator puts out, because sometimes it's just like, hey, watch this wild mismatch for a crazy finish, which, you know, I'm not opposed to. I'm not looking down my nose at anyone who does watch that. I've watched that on more than one occasion. But I'm not going to sit here and, t and try to pretend that I'm going to, you know, lecture you on the value of some of these fights. You know, uh, there was a light heavyweight fight on there on the prelims. You know, uh, Sullivan, Cowley, and Jay Riddick, uh, Raddick. I'm not going to sit here and say, boy, you missed out if you didn't watch that. No, you probably didn't, to be candid. But some of the guys towards the top of a Bellator event, there are talented people in Bellator. Uh, and that needs to be acknowledged more often than it is, I think. All right. Uh, what was the other event? Ah, uh, yes, one. So this was, because the naming convention for this organization is ass-backwards, one on Prime Video 4, if you want to try and find it. Um, we had a lot of weight misses. You know what? Let's just say it. Can we just say this, please? For the sake of honesty, transparency, can I all be honest about this? The one-solved weight-cutting nonsense needs to die a horrible death. Why is it that you only get these myriad of weight issues and hydration test failures for whatever BS that is? You only get those on these, like, one events, uh, on the prime events. Right? Like, do they just not do it otherwise? I would bet, no, they don't do it. That, 
again, it's a load of crap. It's a load of crap with no evidence to support any of the ridiculous claims. Anytime they have tried to implement what they say they've been implemented, they just have like eight guys miss weight. Um, so at the weigh-ins for this particular event, let's go over this real fast. Um, yeah, Bibiano Fernandez, Stephen Lohman, and Jonathan Haggerty all failed their hydration tests. For whatever value you want to give that. Um, so we had a, several of those. Um, what was the other one? Yeah, oh. Uh, the one welterweight championship, which is middleweight, because their naming convention is ass backwards too, I guess. Um, your reigning champion at that weight class, uh, Karyam Abasov, missed weight. He weighed 186 and a quarter. And... Again, I can't tell you if this was hydration or whatnot, but that wasn't only the hyd Apparently, the issue with the guy's failing hydration test is a little bit different than just failing to make weight, I guess. Like, it, it's just so stupid. So he was stripped of the belt. Christian Lee, his opponent, could win the belt, did win the belt, beat him via fourth-round TKO. Um, man, the commentary could not get off of Christian Lee's nuts. Just filleting the guy. Uh, even when he's doing crappy stuff, like, boy, I like his footwork. His footwork was not great. You know, his, um, his cardio seems to be holding up. It really wasn't. These two were gassed. I mean, it was a good finish from Lee. I'm not trying to... This That's not a knock on Lee, okay? He moved from welterweight up to middleweight. That's a pretty big jump. Again, he moved from 170 to 185. Big jump. Getting acclimated to your new body at that is, again, that's a whole thing. And the finish was very, and he survived a pretty, pretty gnarly beating in the first round. Like, Abasov, Abasov put it on him. Um, could that have been stopped? I don't think it ever quite got to the point where I thought it could have been, like, it should be stopped. Uh, Abasov's offense was a little bit too wild. And Lee was doing enough to stick around. But, um, it, yeah, it, it, good finish out of Lee. Just some nasty elbows he was landing. He caught his second wind before Abasov, and that was the difference maker. So Lee has now been the um, 170 and 185-pound champion. So good on him, I guess. Um, not a bad fight. Uh, a fight... You should watch if you want if you're interested in um, Muay Thai because Rod Tang was in action and Rod Tang just blanked out Joseph Lasiri. Rod Tang did Rod Tang things. That's always a good time. That was the other thing here. Is there anything else? Oh, Cosmo Alexandre. This was just sad. So you may remember this. Cosmo Alexandre uh, fought. This is apparently he retired after this again allegedly. Um, see if that holds or not. But he fought Sage Northcutt in May of 2019 and broke his face in 30 seconds. I mean, I don't know why they thought that was a good matchmaking to show off this somewhat notable guy that they brought over. You know, just fight this wrecking machine. And then they kept Alessandre on the fence for like three and a half years. Um, 
Don't know why. Uh, really good finish from him. Really nice um, elbow that he was able to land and get this to get this one done. Just a shame that they sat this guy on the fence for as long as they did. Just, just a crime. Uh, Jonathan Haggerty is usually fun to watch. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I have issues with the presentation and the dialogue around one, but they have a pretty good product most of the time. Yeah, I like their rule set. I've said that many times. I think they have the better rule set. They might have the better scoring system in general. Again, I, I've come around to the notion that scoring the fight as a whole rather than round by round might give you a better reflection of the fight. Um, that said, Ian, the scoring criteria is more important than whether or not you score the fight on the whole or round by round. Because weird scoring criteria will lead to weird results regardless of whether you go round by round or fight as a whole. But, you know, if you've got Amazon Prime, you can look this one up. Um, not the worst night of fights, you know, for one. And not a whole lot that I'm going to, I'm not going to be crowing about here. But, you know, the Muay Thai stuff, Cosmo Alexandre and Rod Tang both. And the main event wasn't bad. So, yeah, that was one. Um, in the more comical side of things, um, in the boxing world or the boxing adjacent world, Haseem Rahman uh, Jr., who was, if you'll recall, was supposed to fight Jake Paul at one point, would have been a legitimate, like, uh, Haseem uh, Rahim Jr., legitimate boxer, would have been a big step up for Jake Paul in a lot of respects. And then, uh, missed weight, so the fight did not happen because... Uh, guy couldn't make weight. He fought at heavyweight. That would have been a cruiserweight. He fought at heavyweight against former NFL linebacker and UFC fighter Greg Hardy, who outweighed him by an almost comical amount. I mean, uh, again, Hashim Rahman Jr. is usually more of the cruiserweight, which is sub 200. Um... He was like two. Who was he? For this fight, he was less than two twenty. And then Greg Hardy came in and was like almost three hundred pounds. Like there was a massive size disparity. But you'd think a guy with legitimate boxing skills would be able to beat someone who does not have great boxing skills, and Greg Hardy does not have great boxing skills. No. Um, Hardy, like, dro even dropped him at one point, straight up sat him down with a good punch. Um, uh, Rockman Jr. is just, like, he's not quite Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. levels of clown, but he might be on that path. So, in your comical bit, Greg Hardy gets a unanimous decision win in his, uh, his pro boxing debut. I think it was his debut. Double check that. Um, I've had a few boxing fights before this. His second. Yeah, he defeats Hasim Rahman Jr. You, you didn't have a decision to be only four rounds, but... Um, yeah. Just... It's got to be embarrassing. I mean, uh, Rahman Jr. 
He was undefeated for a while. Then his first loss was for the vacant for a vacant title again after he failed to fight uh, Jake Paul. Uh, he's kind of been. Uh, he, he's just kind of been on a downward spiral since then, man. Um, yeah, he was was he supposed he was supposed to fight Vitor Belfort here. That would have gone badly for him, I think. If Greg Hardy could do what he did, Belfort might have Belfort might have seriously hurt him. I mean, uh, again, Junior's dad was a, a fairly legitimate boxer. Yeah, um, Hasim Rahman Senior was a former heavyweight champion. Unified, wasn't he at one point? WBC, IBF, IBO. He was a lineal champion, technically. Yeah, very legitimate heavyweight boxer. Granted, a time when heavyweight boxing was kind of in decline, but still, that's nothing to sneeze at. And his kid out here losing to Greg Hardy in Hardy's second professional fight as a boxer. Just, sorry. It amuses me. Because I am easily... I've, I've said this publicly. I'm going to say it again here. I don't think it's possible to satirize combat sports. Um, you've got between Dana White's power slap bullshit. Um, Dana White, I'm going to fix what's wrong with boxing. Dana White, I can't... Boxing's too broken to be fixed. Understanding that that means I can't use my predatory and exploitative uh, tactics because boxers have rights. Now, Dana White, I will get the most backwoods, saddest excuse for something that might be mistaken for combat sports, and I will try. I get it on TBS because TBS lost. Really, TBS will not be having the NBA in the near future, like after this season. Um, so what do we got? We got AEW, and <laughs> and your stinger for that will be Dana White's power slap. <laughs> you can't write this stuff. I bring this up because um, this got floated around a little bit. Um, just a silly little uh, sketch from Key and Peele. That was them doing the uh, kind of the sit-down opposing interviews, like like not actual interview, but you know the different um, the different sit-downs where they respond to each other in the style of like the older UFC, like when they had the Gladiator intro. And they get it they get it dead on, right? But the comical thing about this is not their comedy. It's more that as they're trying to be parodies of these characters, right? They're just being those characters. It's a self-parody. Um, so I bring all that up. Yeah, so having said all that, um, yeah, you, you, just, you can't make this stuff up, man. You just can't do it. So... Here's my news item of the week, and that nobody's talking about this, but they should. So, Miles Johns, after his win at UFC on ESPN Plus 73 or whatever, mentions that his corner consisted of his father and his brother. 
because the UFC pulled and suspended his new head coach, who is James Krause. This seemed like damage control to anybody else in the wake of what happened with Derek Minner a couple of weeks back. Because James Krause is his head coach. Um, there was a thing that broke in New Jersey. I forget which which um, company this is, but there was some company that came out and said, we can't take bets on anything involving James Krause as a fighter, a coach, a trainer, a anything. Makes you wonder. You know, the, the UFC, Dana White up there lying to the media again saying... Yeah, our investigation, our investigation into James Krause and the Derek Manor thing turned up nothing irregular. You guys are, something's not adding up here, and nobody's talking about this. I don't think, I think there's serious egg on the UFC's face about this, and they're trying to hush it up. They don't want to talk about it, and the access media, and most MMA media is access media, because what you're doing is being driven by access to events, to fighters, to personnel, they're going to play ball with this. So we're just going to have to wait and see. But that's something to keep your eye on. What's going on with James Krause there? Um, whether or not there was wrongdoing, there might. This is not me saying that James Krause is somehow the victim of malfeasant practices by the UFC. He might have very, he might very well have done things that warrant this particular action being taken. I am saying that no, that this got brought up and no by a fighter, and no one's talking about it. There's no pieces being written on it. There's no anything. Like, that is flying way under the radar, and I imagine it's because a lot of people want it that way. So we'll keep our eyes on that one for whatever we can kind of get out of it. Uh, I think that was the only news I had, and kind of a quiet news week. I mean, we had Anthony Johnson passing last week, so. We'll take a quiet news week these times around. Um, let me double-check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken, and if not, we will do plugs and get out of here. Yeah, it doesn't look like it. So, plugs. Let's see, what do I get this week? The usual spate of professional wrestling coverage. AW's Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday. This week is at the pre-recorded. I believe this will be the tribute to the Troops episode. Again, they taped this a couple of weeks ago. So be on the lookout for that. Um, Wednesday edition of Damn You Hollywood this week, we will, we will be reviewing The Menu, the ensemble cast movie starring little, uh, what is it, like a horror comedy kind of doohickey, psychological thriller, a little bit up in the air. It's a very ambiguous trailer uh, starring predominantly Ray Fiennes and Anya Taylor-Joy, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, if you're interested in the stuff we do over at Damn You Hollywood, tune in for that. All right. Uh, no UFC event this coming week again. To everyone in the United States, happy Thanksgiving. I know you Canadians had that back in October, and I know there's at least a couple of Canadians that listen to this, so I thank you. Uh, I know your Thanksgiving is in October, and you have a lot of nothing in November. You have Remembrance Day, but um, don't have a kind of you know, major holiday in November, I don't think. Uh, so. To anyone in the States, happy Thanksgiving. To elsewhere in the world, if you have something coming up, I wish you the best of luck with that. Uh, yeah, back next week to preview UFC. Is it the Holland? Uh, it's the Wonder Boy and Kevin Holland fight, right? Yeah. 
Next week, we'll be back here to preview UFC on ESPN 42. Headlined by Steven. Good Lord. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fifteen fights again. Stop this. Stop it. Bad UFC. Bad. You know, very briefly, one wonders if the UFC's pace of events that they are forced to maintain and the frequency with which they are requiring fighters to compete is not contributing to the breakdown of individual fighters in important positions. Just a thought. Um, you know, this is not a bad card, actually. Uh, Thompson and Holland is fine. Barbarina and Rafael dos Santos, new co-main event. That'll be fun. Um, Matthews, Nicolau, and Matt Schnell. That's got some potential. Tied to Ivasa and Sergey Pavlovich will be big, stupid fun. Okay, I don't really care about Derek Brunson and Jack Hermanson, or much about Eric Anders and Kyle Dawkins, but... Again, that's not awful. Got on the prelims. Uh, Scott Holtzman and Clay Guida. Like Guida should probably lose that. Uh, Jonathan Pierce and Darren Elkins. Um, Pierce has been... He's only got one loss in the UFC. He debuted at lightweight and got stopped by Joe Lozon. Four in a row since then. Taking a step, a, a step up, generally speaking, against Elkins here. Uh, so that one might bear watching. Anyway, full preview next week. Not a terrible card for UFC on ESPN. Where are they for that one? Yeah, they're in Orlando. They have to put. If they have to sell tickets, they have to try, right? So we'll preview that next week. Thank you all very, very much as always for listening. Deeply appreciate it. Enjoy your week. Stay safe out there, and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.